Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to another episode of your favorite hockey and sporting podcast, Hockey the Podcast. The name says it all from east to south to north to west. And West, incidentally, was our very last episode where we featured the likes of Ricky West, all sides of him. This time around, uh, we're going elsewhere, but uh, still remaining within the borders of South Africa. That, I think, actually, I'm, I'm not even too sure. But uh, one thing I am sure of is that uh, running alongside me, as always, is my partner in crime, Tyron Jabu Barnard. Hi, you, Ty. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, Derek, let me try and uh, start with a little bit more voice. Uh, yeah, it's always good to chat. And we had a week off, uh, a chance to rest our voices, although we were busy with quizzes. Um, but we decided to have a week off because uh, certain people, uh, not our current guests, weren't available. So and we had to trying to rush something in. And we had to play a lot of yeah. golf. I mean, you have played a little bit more than me lately, but uh, I am headed uh, oh. to Mpumalanga next week oh, to, to take on the jewel of uh, there, most people's bucket list. Is there is there a golf course down there? Little, yeah, little just a little one. You may not have heard of it. It's called uh, yeah, a little mashy course called Leopard Creek. <laughs> oh man. Jeez, I am jealous, jealous, jealous. So yeah, you, you certainly need the week. You needed the week off to recharge your batteries and uh, hopefully get your handicap up, maybe uh, as you as you go down to Pumalanga <laughs> to, to take that on. But uh, we're not talking golf, of course. We are talking hockey. I, I mentioned Ricky West. That was our last guest, episode fifty-eight. We're now going on to episode fifty-nine, and once again, Ty, you brought on a cracker. Yeah, and and it's. Uh if I'm correct, uh, is it our <laughs> first completed pair of brothers? Uh, it, it could be. You know, you know what else I was, I was thinking about is that the surname has actually featured quite often on the show and yeah. not necessarily uh, as relatives. No, no, of course not. But, but. It is, uh, we, we've had Ian Evans, or good old one, as, as he is affectionately known on the show. And today we go to his brother, none other than Steve Evans, better known as Sevens, a man with 96 uh, caps for South Africa, an Olympian playing in the Athens Olympics, and of course, uh, probably one of the greatest hockey minds that you will ever meet. So I, I think that's probably the not even enough justice can do for our guest today, but uh, welcome, Sevens. <laughs> thanks, Javi. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, I think those those are very kind words there to start off with. Um, yeah, certainly, uh, hockey's hockey's been a big part of uh, the Evans family, and uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll, we'll get right into it uh, in just a moment. Well, I mean, let's let's dive right in. I mean, you. Let, let's start with the playing side of stuff, Sevens. I mean, you you've been involved around the, the you were involved around the South African squad as early as 1994. You played 96 games, which ultimately culminated in the Athens Olympics, which you went to with your brother, which which must have been an amazing thing. I mean, what what are the the standout memories from you in your playing time for South Africa? Yeah, sure, Javi. I mean, I think uh, like every like every athlete. Uh, in fact, and I was just 
sharing this with uh, with one of the uh, one of the school schools that I was um, asked to to speak at recently, uh, and I was just telling the kids that you know in like life um, it's a journey and it's not um, it's not always plain sailing. So it's obviously lots of lots of of ups and downs um, through a career. Uh, in the hockey context, uh, for me, I mean, I think if I if I rewind right back to uh, to the to the very very early days, um, having been born effectively into a hockey family, um, you know, my first memories were were, were pretty much um, you know playing on the lawn uh, with my dad and my brothers, and uh, and coincidentally because my folks had been in the UK uh, during the 70s, um, and my dad had played with uh, and at Hounslow Hockey Club for, for many, many, many years with a number of uh, different uh, GB internationals um, and Olympians. Uh, we had this, this very strong connection and, and one, of, one of those friends um, of his, a guy by the name of Suti Kaha, um, of Indian uh, origin with the most incredible stick skills and hands that, you, that you've ever seen. Um, I do have this really you know, fond memory of uh, of, the, of myself and my two brothers trying to tackle City um, as he just sort of dribbled in and around uh, us on the back lawn, but uh, but yeah, through through the through the years um, and and sort of you know fast forwarding through mini hockey and uh, schools uh, representing Marisburg College and uh, and being trained under Mike Bichet, uh through the SA schools sort of process. Um, there were there were a number of great like hockey highlights um, within that, but um, as you ask, sort of you know what were the sort of the key standouts um, you know during during my career, and and I think absolutely uh, well initially I, I was selected as part of the um, the 1994 World Cup squad, which was which was fairly momentous um, just in the context of it was you know the first time that that South Africa would compete in the World Cup. Um, after after many years of, of isolation, um, and and another sort of I suppose quite momentous hockey experience that was that was linked to that and also form, forms part of the journey was uh, when Jock Coombs put together um, a touring group uh, where we went um, in 1992 to the Barcelona Olympics to to watch. Um, so he put together an under 16 um, development squad and under. A 19 development squad, uh, a handful of under 21s came along, and then a whole lot of coaches. We stayed in this youth hostel, and we got to ex we played a couple of games, and we trained every day up at Club Agara. We watched all these games, and we had this exposure and this touch point to, to international hockey. Um, so, so that you know that in itself was was an experience. But um, 94, I just missed out on on uh, on on the team. Um, I, yeah, um, I, I remember also distinctly. Uh, getting getting totally uh, scribbled uh, by uh, Ali Fredericks, um, you know when Gavin Featherston asked us to to do sort of one versus ones, one v ones, and uh, anyway missed out on, missed out on the on the on the, on the actual uh, on going to the '94 Cup, um, missed out on on uh, on Atlanta um, again. You know Featherston and myself uh, never really got on 100 percent. And uh, yeah, it was a bit of an uphill period, um, and then and then got my first cap um, for the uh, 
for the South African team um, in India under Giles Bonnet, uh, 96. And then, yeah, again, um, I missed out on, on the 98 um, Commonwealth Games, unfortunately, uh, and World Cup team, but carried on, got it back in the squad. Um, then there's a, the, yeah, there was a great uh, sort of life experience that I'd love to love to share with you around um, the Sydney Olympics, which was um, when Sam Ram Sammy had um, had decided that our team, despite qualifying, um, was did not meet the the requirements that um, that uh, Saskoc had set at the time for, or it was Knox actually at that time um, for for the team uh, to to participate. Um, and I ended up actually going over. I got involved as a volunteer, um, and and actually sat on on the on the FIH table for the gold medal match. So uh, yeah, I still had this epic experience, which we can chat a bit more about if, if people are interested. Um, and then yeah, again, despite that disappointment, um, uh, we you know carried on, still accumulating test caps, having amazing um you know hockey and life experiences um you know in europe in south america uh, australia so a number of different countries that we were that we were traveling to and and competing against you know the best teams in the world which was which is ultimately what 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 it's all about and then and then finally yeah sort of coming toward i missed again missed out on the 2002 world cup unfortunately um but uh, all during this time as well, I was very involved in, in, in the indoor hockey, um, which my dad had been also pretty instrumental in, in, in terms of um, you know, South Africa's uh, um, indoor hockey history. Um, so he's the, you know, he coached the Springboks in 1985 against Ireland. Um, and, and then subsequently with, uh, with Greg Dark, they put together a touring side um, in '97, to to go and play some indoor um, in the European Championships, um, and then and then we repeated in '99, 2001, and uh, with different teams, and uh, and off the back of having participated in in those um, in those various tournaments, uh, we then subsequently got an opportunity to uh, to represent um, South Africa. Um, at the at the first ever Indoor World Cup in Leipzig, Germany, in, two, in 2003, um, also played with Juan in that uh, uh, in that um, tournament, and my and my old man was uh, was the chef de mission, I suppose, for the for the South African team, which is also another great um, shared family experience. And then, yeah, it all culminated with uh, with Athens, um, and, and I think not not also um, to discount um, another pretty epic tournament that, that we played in, which was the, quali the Olympic qualifier in Madrid in Spain, which was also at the time when, uh, when there was that um, Madrid bomb blast. And, uh, and the, uh, the pressure of, of, of having to come seventh to, to claim the final spot and going to strokes against Belgium and, uh, and clinching it. So, yeah, some, some really incredible um, international hockey highlights. And then, yeah, a little bit later on, um, in 2014, also um, a hockey experience that was very unexpected, but ended up, um, as you would know, and maybe some of the listeners would know, but uh, ended up player coaching the Peninsula side 
um, at IPT 2014 and, uh, and, and winning, winning the tournament. So yeah, some great, some great and fond hockey memories and some great friendships built along the way. Yes, yeah, Steve, uh, great to have you on the show, Derek. Yeah, um, geez, thanks for How's that, it, Derek. Hey, great man, thank you so much for that uh, very uh, detailed intro. But uh, I mean, we're going to go into into quite some depth uh, for various uh, for a couple of those uh, incidents that that you did mention. But I, I want to go back. You speak about making your debut. Uh, there's no question as a sporting person uh, you want to go on to represent your country no, no matter your vocation or, or which sport you have set your mind and ability to so that must have been a, a great feeling but moreover the fact that you made your debut in India must have been even more special absolutely uh, we were we were playing in the chief minister's cup um, in Chennai um, or which was which uh, was I think it's now Chennai it used to be called Madras um, down on the southeast um, coast of India and uh, we were, you know, we were staying, we were staying in, in, in this hotel and literally from arriving at the airport, it was just this incredible like atmosphere. You know, there were people waiting for us to get off the plane. You know, um, you'd have to sort of sidle your way through uh, these fans to get to the bus. You know, everywhere you went, people were smiling and waving and pointing and just... You know, I guess it's what 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 most of our you know international uh, sports stars um, in other codes like football and cricket and so on experience on a day-to-day basis. But just to have that, where you know, in a hockey context, we don't we don't generally sort of um, experience that too much, um, and certainly not back then um, when it was still very very amateur. Um, or very much more amateur than perhaps um, what the what the current has experienced. But uh, yeah, India is a very special place, difficult place to tour. But uh, yeah, the it was a, it was a, my debut was against um, Bangladesh, and we ended up winning um, five zero, which was um, a great start. Um, and yeah, and then we 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 finished second to India in in uh, what was also a pretty amazing um, experience playing against the likes of, you know, Dan Rajpillay and um, a whole lot of other um, uh, Indian legends. Yeah, you, you speak about the fact that you played against Bangladesh in your first game up. Uh, I mean, that must have been a, a massive coup too, being able to, to capture the win, your first match, and to do so so thoroughly. I mean, 5-0 is uh, nothing to, to lift your nose at. No, exactly. It was, uh, you know, from, I think you can't really um, ask for a better opportunity to kind of ease yourself into it. Um, I know, I know certainly like, you know, if you were playing in a massive game first up, um, there's, there's already so much, so many nerves and, um, you know, you've, you've obviously hyped yourself up for this particular um, experience. So just to be able to, to ease in, to not quite have that same intensity and pressure just meant that one could, you know, settle in, realize that actually the game's not, it's not a different game. It's not, um, you know, it's not significant in, in more significant. It is significant in the sense of um, the value that you place in it, but it's not, it's no different to any, to, to any other game. It's still hockey. Um, you just got slightly less time and space um, to, to make your decisions. Yeah, Steve, and, and, and obviously, I mean, 
your your career obviously ended at the end of the Olympic Games. I mean, that must have been a, a rather special occasion to to go and buy out at. Yeah, it was. Uh, it, it's been. A, it, it's an interesting one. Um, the I think I think you know certainly like my hockey career probably could have uh, could have continued on um, further than that. But uh, at the time, I'd made the decision uh, with my with my wife to that you know after after Athens that we would call it a day. Uh, we en- ended up going back to the UK for for one more season. Uh, to uh, focus on, you know, earning some money to set ourselves up, and uh, and so absolutely, you know, um, no regrets. And it was a great, a great tournament to be involved in, and a great sort of pinnacle to to be able to yeah to to end a career on. So so yeah, it was um, yeah right up there is definitely one of one of the most amazing life experiences. Um, of course, and, and and we ask all the guys that uh, guys and girls that come on the the program on the podcast. We ask you, you know, specifically those who are the Olympians. I mean, just just how special is it to be an Olympian? And and did you get any of those uh, starstruck moments when you bumped into uh, some superstar in the village? Uh, so that's it's a great question, actually. Um, I think I think there's there's probably a few different facets to 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 maybe unpack here. Um, the first one is that, I mean, as a as a global um, you know sporting festival, it, it is absolutely the pinnacle. And I think the most incredible thing is that for one, everybody has has spent their literally their entire lives, um, and certainly the, the the previous four years. Um, preparing themselves to be part of this epic um, sporting festival. Um, this, the second thing is that you realize when you're in the village and, and the food halls are the main sort of, I suppose, focal point because, you know, you're needing to eat sort of four or five times a day. Um, and so you, so, so there's always a buzz around, um, around the eating halls. And, and of course, this is where you also get to engage and, and, and meet and, and uh, chat to, uh, you know these other amazing superstars. So, as an example, like you may be standing in the, or in in particular in, in Athens, um, I was lucky enough to meet uh, Frankie Fredericks. I met um, uh, Michael Johnson. Um, I, I I was standing in the feud queue next to Martina Navratilova, and so you know those are just a handful. Um, uh, Bekele, um, the long distance um, gold medalist and the 10,000 meters, uh, you know, th- there were a number of just incredible athletes that, uh, yeah, that it got to engage with. And, uh, and a little sort of side story on that is when, when you go to the games, you have to wear an accreditation, which is like a, an ID card that tells you, you know, where you can go and what you're allowed to do. Um, and, and so I, I knew from having participated in other, um, in other events that, uh, it's always a good idea to take um, some little South African pins uh, that you can that you can trade. So as early as back in you know that first experience that I was sharing um, earlier about having gone to watch the '92 Olympics. Um, at every Olympic Games, uh, they release different um, limited edition pins that you you know would stick on a felt board or on your blazer or whatever the case may be. 
And, uh, and so I'd been collecting pins from, from the 92 Olympics. And so I knew to, to take a whole lot with me. And then essentially what I was doing is I was just swapping with different athletes that I would meet. And it actually ended up becoming quite a great, quite a good way to like engage with, with other athletes because I'd have stuck to my accreditation. Um, uh, there would be maybe, you know, 13 or 14 different pins. And then I would have an extra couple in my pockets and then, you know, people would have a look and they would be interested. And then, you know, it's just a talking point to, to start the conversation. So, so yeah, absolutely. You know, on that front, incredible to to be able to engage with and meet um superstars you also realize that, that they're just people um they're very down to earth they they at the same t- um, tournament as you are um competing for the same thing which is a gold medal and uh and so yeah it's, it's a very sort of uh not odd experience but you know where we build where we build up these superstars so much um because of what we see in the media Ultimately, uh, you know, they, they, they people just like you and I, and, um, and it's great to have that opportunity to meet them in a, in a relatively relaxed um, environment. Steve, that's amazing. And you had all these pins and you're engaging with superstars of the sporting world. And, and is that how, what led to numerous conversations? Uh, you mentioned Michael Johnson. Was that just because you're behind him in the queue? looking for a, a burger or did he actually come to you and say, listen, I want, how do I get in, the, in, the, in on this pin action? No. The, so the, the Michael Johnson one was, was, was quite a fun, was quite a funny one because uh, we, so I think one of the, one of the beauties of hockey and in particular um, hockey, hockey teams is that especially in the, in the multi-code, multi, um, multi, multi-code um, festivals uh, or, you know, Commonwealth Games, um, uh, Olympics, etc., is within the South African team, uh, the rest of the athletes that are often competing individually, like the swimmers um, or smaller teams or the athletes, um, they, they are drawn into the fact that there's um, 16 or 18 um, guys or girls that already have got um, like a, an identity and they've got the banter and you know the fun that goes on like when you're on tour so in the hockey team we had a number of very very colorful um characters uh like dave Staniforth, who who was the center of most um shenanigans and bits and pieces that went down but um we we actually dave had instituted a sort of a thanks for coming award um which ended up being um, a T-shirt that he'd made um, where he'd got a caricature of Dave Carr, our manager, um, on the back of the shirt. And so at the end of the day, if you'd, um, if you'd uh, you know, made a mistake or, uh, or you'd been involved in um, fall into a prank or, or somehow, uh, you know, been assigned or got, got nominated for the Thanks for Coming Award, you had to put the Dave Carr T-shirt on and then you had to do effectively like a Russian sort of dance um, while the guys would all, you know, sing uh, and clap uh, the, the Thanks for Coming song. So what we decided is that when we got to the, uh, when we got to the Olympics and we we're in the village and we realized there were all these amazing superstars, is we decided that when you got given the award, um, what you had to do is you had to actually return um, the following day 
to present the award to the next um, person that got it, uh, but you had to have had it signed by um, a, a famous athlete. So when I got it, I ended up um, cornering uh, Michael Johnson and I got him to um, yeah, sign it and uh, took some photographs with him. Uh, and of course, again, because there was um, a, a lot of a lot of people would would just be captivated by by what would happen. So invariably, we do the award ceremony, you know, in, in not not in the confines of our of our little hostel or um, block of flats where we were staying, but um, actually in the food hall, of course, so that uh, there's more embarrassment for the person getting it, and 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 there's always curious onlookers. So yeah, lots of lots of fun and games. That, that's amazing. You know, we we do uh, a host of different quizzes and interviews. And uh, about two months back, we had, as I guess, Brandon Stone, the South African golf who plays in the European Tour, and he represented South Africa at Rio. So the last yeah. Olympics in the golfing tournament there. And he told us an amazing story. He said that, you know, you're still trying to get over jet lag. So he woke up at, a, at around two in the morning or something. And he said, you know, what can I do to, to get this out of my system? Oh, the best uh, way to do it is to head off to the gym. So that's what he did. And he said the gym was quiet, quiet, quiet. And he went in and so he got on the treadmill and he's running and he's not really paying attention to anything around him. And he's in his own little world listening to music and he's jogging. And the next thing he feels a presence to the left of him. And the person's there and the person's sprinting and going at like 12, 15 k's an hour, and he's like just going along in his little gallop at about six or seven, and he feels a bit intimidated, he ups the ante slightly, and jeez, and this person next to him carries on, carries on, he just goes, eventually turns to have a look, and it's none other than Serena Williams. <laughs> wow! So amazing. It, it does. It, it's amazing, the stories that emanate from, from the Olympics. And I mean, if you look at your CV, and you said, yeah, maybe you could have done a bit more, but that's certainly not the case. I think anyone who, who has aspirations to represent their country across any sport, to have, to have achieved what you've achieved in your career, uh, people would have taken that hands down. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, two, two quick thoughts. The first one is I was reminded, actually, when you mentioned um, running on the treadmill, um, in this case, I was on an exercise bike. Um, but John Eels actually was um, like a team ambassador for wow. Team Australia. Also, sort of just yeah, and I ended up having a long chat with him um, on yeah on on the treadmill. And and actually, we I had met him uh, previously when we were on a tour in Australia, where because his kids uh, were big hockey fans, he came down to to one of the tournaments and we got to meet him after the after the game. So then there was already like a recognition because you know introduced myself again and yeah. and and then subsequently actually saw him a couple of times during during the games but also just you know so incredible because for such a, a an incredible sporting icon um he was essentially like solicited by um you know team australia to to just be on hand um to 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 be there to talk with their australian athletes to inspire them to yeah, just to help them um, with 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 uh, you know the mental side of their game, um, how they're feeling. You know, just and he's he's such a he's such a legend, um, so down to earth, and yeah, just just a great man. And and of course that would have been 
in 2004, which was four years after Australia hosted it when uh, it took place in Correct. Sydney. So yeah. he would have been a, a massive presence back then. So uh, he, him and I played the same position. We actually had the same numbers on our backs. And he was always uh, the, the guy that, that I looked up to as uh, one that I wanted to try and emulate. And I, I remember because in, in 2000, he was involved when they talk about the, the greatest game of rugby ever played. It was a Bledisloe yes. Cup test, and it was between New Zealand and, and the Wallabies. And uh, the All Blacks just cracked it right at the death. I think it was Jonah Lomu who, who got the try. But but John Eels, no no doubt, would have been a massive factor and inspiration back in 2000. And, and it's amazing the foresight that, that Australians have, because even looking back at the 2000 Olympics, if we go back even further back to, to 1996, and the Australians were absolutely obliterated uh, across all sporting codes, uh, at the Olympics, uh, they came almost nowhere in the medals, uh, and, and and they came about a plan. They said, "Look, we, we're hosting the Olympics in four years' time, and we need to get our act together. We can't be an embarrassment as hosts." And I mean, the proof is in the pudding. Uh, I, I think they came second, if I'm not mistaken, on the medals table uh, in 2000, uh, which was a world away from from where they'd come uh, four years earlier. And and you mentioned, I mean, what would a rugby player be doing? within an Olympic squad four years later when rugby wasn't even on the cards. I mean, this day and age would probably yeah. be fairly understandable. Uh, but even then, I mean, a, a lock playing sevens rugby is unheard of. So, and it, it blows my mind, uh, the foresight that that had. To have, and, and incidentally, and I don't know, he'll say it's not true, but everyone else pretty much acknowledges this. I don't know if you know it, but John Eels's nickname is there was, was nobody yes because because <laughs> yeah. nobody's perfect because nobody's perfect yeah <laughs> what a what a no, he, has a, he, he also he had a good chuckle about that because obviously the guys um you know he always asked him and said you know well, like what is it about uh, about your nickname and he just he just shrugs it off but he yeah, like i said he's just he's such a he's such a legend and and, and a very down-to-earth very down-to-earth guy mm. uh, but but it was. I must. I must say as well. Um, just sort of rewinding a little bit from from that sort of 2004 moment. Um, as I met, as I alluded to in that very long introduction, um, one of also one of my sort of great sporting experiences, I suppose. Although unfortunately it wasn't on the playing side, but uh, having having um, heard we weren't going to go to to Sydney, uh, I ended up deciding that I, I was going to be there no matter what. You know, we'd invested so much time, energy, efforts, um, you know, to, to, to qualify and to, and, and, you know, set on, on going. And so anyway, my brother had actually been on a gap year in, in Oz in Perth um, in, in uh, 99. Uh, and so <clears throat> he just connected me with a couple of the schools where he'd uh, been involved. Uh, and, I, and I went out there uh, for a couple of months, played in the, uh, in the Classic League, uh, against all of the guys that, you know, were in the Australian squad because their sort of centre of excellence is in Perth. Um, so, so all the Olympic teams were there training and, and playing every day. Uh, and then I, I went across um, to Sydney and I was staying uh, on the floor with, of, a, of an old varsity friend of mine who had volunteered to do some of the stats associated with hockey. And then some business commitments came up. So literally like the week before I arrived in, in Sydney, and, and and I'd asked um, I'd ask Rochi Bowden to uh, to sort of buy me some of um, some some tickets. So all the money that I'd sort of earned um, in the course of working at one of the schools, I was then going to spend on on, on hockey tickets. Um, subsequently, was able to uh, because Chris phoned me up and he said, "Listen, like he's got this business commitment, he can't fulfil this um, volunteer position. 
you know, can you um, can you substitute for for me? And I was like, well, hell yeah. So so in, anyway, ended up um, getting accredited as a volunteer, and then worked 25 out of the out of the 78 games um, because we knew all the all the Olympic um, uh, athletes. So we knew obviously the, all the women's hockey uh, and a couple of other um, sporting codes that we'd met previous um, uh, qualifiers and and so on. Um, ended up you know being signed into the into the athlete hospitality area and then my wife and I actually ended up uh, you know being being in there for the and and experience in Olympic Park for the uh, for the for the 16 days of the Olympics and it was pretty hardcore it was a bit like 16 New years in a row because you'd go you'd go in the morning you'd uh, check in you'd either go and watch um, some live events if you had tickets Otherwise, you could go in and you could watch um, the live feeds in the in the in the athlete hospitality area. Um, and Sydney Olympic Park um, was still, from my experience of the of, of the three Olympics that I went to um, uh, in in Barcelona, was was a bit sort of sprawled out um, across the city. Uh, but Olympic Park in Sydney was um, a purpose-built venue with all the different sporting codes there. You had two million people a day. Um, in Olympic Park, so you actually have to have a have a valid ticket or accreditation to be able to be inside Olympic Park, and then the, you know the main boulevard, which probably extended about I don't know, it, it goes past the Telstra Stadium there, and it was probably about you know maybe four or five k's um, long boulevard, and at lunchtime there would just be you know maybe 20 25 people walking abreast for four kilometers, all you could see, you know. Um, just this incredible, incredible sporting experience. Yeah, and then uh, we got to yeah. to pretty much, uh, yeah, just experience the games. And, and like I said, um, in the end, um, ended up sitting on the gold medal match uh, between Korea and uh, and Holland. Um, yeah, and experiencing got a gold medal match in the Olympic final. Um, you know, basically from the bench. So, so yeah, uh, really, that, really cool. That almost yeah. makes you. That almost makes you John Wright. Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I mean, look, says obviously. Then we go a little bit further post your playing and volunteering days and stuff, and uh, there was a massive call from a lot of people because of uh, your hockey mind to to see you getting involved in the SA coaching. Uh, you did become the assistant coach with Fabian Gregory for a period of time. But there were even calls when Fabian left for you to take uh, the head coach role over yourself. I mean, why why did you not, or did you put your name forward, or yeah? And and is it something you could see yourself doing in the future? Because um, obviously, we've we've seen your coaching at PHL and RPT, and of course, player coach, as you said earlier, when the Pens became the first ever B team to win. The RPT. So your pedigree is there. The players respect you. Is it something that you'd want to do, or not? Yeah, I think I think what what one has to what one has to weigh up um, in in making these decisions is 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 you know what at what cost does does that opportunity come at? And I and I say what cost in the in the sense of um, the realities of 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 life. Um, so in in my case, I have my own business um, interests, and it's not 
you know, uh, in the technology space and and in the online space. Um, you know, if if you are if you're going to embark and you're going to go down a path um, that is you know full is the head coach of, of the South African team, um, you you weighing up um, you know the financial um, uh, considerations of 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 doing of, of taking on that role. Um, I know that that is you know from from all the other um, coaches that have preceded me. Um, you know the conversations that we often have are around you know what is my role as a coach is it just coaching or is it um, coaching and fundraising um, and to that point uh, you know you have to look at uh, the the requirements um, and the and, and the, the, the effort that you're going to be putting in uh, in the context of uh, your your day job I suppose um, because yeah I, I don't think I don't think that uh, that 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 it would really um, be able to be done on a on a sort of a call it a full on a full time basis um, from a you know financial um, position. Yeah, so, and, and obviously yes, that. So, sorry, I was just going to interject. Then obviously, no, no, sure. I mean, I, I want to add add to that or add your thoughts there. I mean. What do South Africa do? Well, well, you're answering. What does South Africa need to do? You know, I, I, we're far away from having a professional uh, hockey structure. Um, you know, there'd be a lot of things that need to change or, or stuff, and a lot of partners would have to come on board. But surely we could get to a point where we can have at least a full-time coach who is uh, remunerated for the role. Yeah, look, I, I, again, I think... The, the the tricky the tricky sort of part of of South African sport is that um, we we don't have um, as much governmental support as um, as perhaps in other countries, um, which which obviously means that when it comes to uh, weighing up the um, you know the financial considerations of not only running a team but also support you know the support staff um, the administration. That goes along with it. Um, yeah, essentially, I think uh, you know we 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 have we have started down the right path, you know, with PHL um, and and where the rights packages are being put together um, correctly and are being sold. Um, and I think we we do sit in a unique situation where um, you know, as far as I'm aware. I think hockey is the, is the fastest growing sport in South Africa, and just simply because of um, of our school kids and the fact that it's both um, boys and girls. Uh, and so now, what we have to do is we have to translate, um, you know, that viewership and and that into into dollars ultimately, or brands, as the case may be. Steve, so from from extreme highs to to very very deep lows, uh, so. You retired from the game. I mean, that must have been tough as is. And then you were stricken with, um, uh, yeah, cancer. So yeah, so so post um, so post Athens and post retiring, um, I then sort of threw all my energy and and um, and that at into the business side of things. And as a structural engineer, I ended up um, uh, working for 
a year abroad in the UK, um, and then subsequently for another two years when we came back uh, to South Africa. But I was a bit frustrated by the by the the fact that it would take you know so long to to get to the business side of engineering, you know, sort of a 20, 20 year path to become a director of a company and, and so on and so forth. So I ended up joining a little startup um, and uh, niche management consultancy startup. And we ended up uh, doing quite a lot of um, offshore consulting in the Middle East and in India. So lucky to, to go back and experience India um, again. But I think it was, it was, the, it was managing multi-million dollar um, projects from Cape Town, being on a plane um, every other um, month or like a week at a time. And just, you know, being in that sort of, you know, when you're in market, uh, working 16 hours a day. Um, so, so absolutely, the cancer came as a, as a big shock. It was 2010. Um, it was testicular cancer, luckily, um, because uh, our family's pretty um, medically orientated. Um, you know, the screening, which is what um, a lot of uh, our female listeners would be familiar with in terms of their breast screening and the process that they get educated and taught about. Um, when it comes to, to men, um, you, should, you should be screening your testicles um, in the same way, which just means having a, sh- a feel in the shower um, and just feeling for changes for lumps. And, uh, you know, and that's actually quite good timing now that um, we have uh, Movember uh, starting this um, on uh, next week. Um, and it is obviously, you know, men's uh, testicular cancer and prostate cancer awareness month. So, so yeah, it was it was a very interesting time. Um, my my wife was uh, was eight months pregnant at, with my, with our second with my son with our second child at the time, and my daughter was two at that time. And uh, it's me, yeah, it, it it gave me a pretty good uh, time to to reflect on. Um, you know, lifestyle. And in particular, I think the, uh, you know, what, what you realize is that you, you need to look after your body. Your body can only handle a certain amount of, of, or a finite amount of stress. And, uh, and when, and it's absolutely, it was, I believe it was the, the lifestyle and the travel um, and the intense pressure that I was, that I was operating under, which, which was a result of it, which resulted in the cancer. What I can say though is, as, as by a stroke of very good luck, um, having picked up this lump, um, we took action very quickly and very early, which meant that it was um, it was a it was a much easier road um, in terms of recovery um, and beating cancer than um, than if you take for example like the Lance Armstrong story where he only picked it up. Once it was already, you know, stage stage three, and had gotten to his lungs, and then subsequently came back and, and went actually into his head, into his brain as well. Um, but uh, yeah, the good news is that uh, in in this day and age, we have the the diagnostic tools, we have the support, and you absolutely can recover and and you can beat it. You know. Sorry, I was on mute and I was talking. Proper 2020 behavior there. Yeah, I, I mean, and and Steve, I mean, if you were to uh, to chat to youngsters, you know, because you were fairly young when you, you were diagnosed with cancer, I mean, and those who are feeling pretty defeated uh, by the fact that they have got um, cancer, I mean, what, what 
What would your advice be to those suffering? Yeah, look, absolutely. The the most important thing um, that I believe in life is is having a positive mindset. Um, now, that's probably easier said than done in many cases, and and so as a result, uh, in the cancer journey, much like in in your in your hockey journey, I suppose, um, it's your support network that ultimately are the most important um, uh, thing things and people to have around you, because it's you know, you're not, every day is not going to be a good day. Um, and it's at times when you, when you're, when you're feeling uncertain, uh, when you, when you don't quite know what the path ahead holds for you, um, that is where you need to turn to your mentors, to your, to your support network. And, 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 and that is why, um, you know, in the cancer, in the cancer journey, um, your, those support groups are, are so important because it's people like you and, and I that um, that are experiencing that same uh, disease and are going through that process of of um, learning more about their bodies and what you need what what it needs to take to uh, to, to to beat the disease. Yeah, I, and, and I mean, if you do look back at your life, obviously you become a, you're a parent. Uh, your your kids will look at you, and and obviously a lot of the schools you talk to as well. I mean, I suppose the the overcoming of the hurdles in your life, you know, from a political point of view, uh, if you've been blocked from going to the Olympics, you made your way there, you got cancer, you overcame it. I mean, would you say that is the, the characteristic hallmark of uh, who Steve Evans is? Yeah, a fighter, I guess. Um, yeah, I think definitely, you know, goal-driven, um, enjoy the challenges that... Uh, you know that that life throws at you, um, but yeah, as I always say to my kids, like you got to remember to to live every day, and you got to remember to enjoy the journey because, literally, um, you know that Olympic experience, which was, which one had worked one's whole life towards, um, was gone in the click of a fingers. You know, um, so you just have to make sure that uh, every day, every step that you take. Um, you know, along the path that you are celebrating the small wins, that you are connecting with people um, and enjoying uh, every experience, both good and bad, along the way. Yeah, it's an incredible Perhaps inspiration. Not savoring, savoring Sa every experience. Yeah, no, very, very well put. It, it really is an incredible journey that you have undertaken, and as mentioned, from the highs to the lows, but uh, you have come out relatively unscathed and we spoke about cvs and and you certainly have a glowing one to look back on and uh despite the advent Thank of you. that cerebral scar that is is cancer you, you have managed to overcome it which um many people have have not unfortunately uh steve it's it's been fantastic uh, chatting to you and, and really really engaging I, I i love the depth that you go to in terms of your answers because yeah i mean i could listen for hours uh, unfortunately we, we have come near to the end, but uh, before we go, uh, I'm sure you are familiar with the show, and we do finish off with the dreaded, or some might say much-loved, one-question quiz, although pretty much uh, no one says that these days. Uh, let me find something nice, segue, that can... Oh, here we go. Golazo! Golazo! Obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to tell you the right answer. Golazo! 
um, because uh, you'll, then you'll never know whether I'm, I'm actually being honest or not. Uh, <laughs> whether I know thoughts or not. Okay. We'll start the mind games now, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so it's a nice, <laughs> easy one, Steve. So if you've listened to the show before, usually what happens is, is that we incorporate a question related to uh, a couple of specific subjects, and I'm going uh, the way of uh, one of the more popular uh, theories that, that we go along. I want to know, there's a Scottish former footballer who became a manager, uh, and he bears the exact same name as you do, Steve Evans, born in 1962, uh, played for a couple of clubs, but he managed even more. And he, he managed a club, out of all the ones that he managed, that is currently in the Premier League. I want to know which club that is. Sure. Um, I, I'd be probably having a, you know, a flyer, but um, I'd probably go with maybe like a Leeds United, obviously not drawing on, on, uh, on any technology or uh, you know, tools that, that might assist, but yeah, I'd probably go with maybe like a Leeds or an Aston Villa. Am I way off the mark? Not at all. You 100% spot on. Uh, he did manage Leeds United uh, when they weren't in the Premier League, of course. Uh, that uh, was courtesy of Marcelo. Uh, what's it? Bielsa. Uh, but he managed them from 2015 to 2016 when they were still in the championship uh, before he went off to... No ways. <laughs> Mansfield, Mansfield Town. But uh, you okay. did get that spot on. Well done. And uh, I think the few in the past that have managed to get, get it right uh, have largely been aided by us. But there was absolutely no assistance whatsoever from your side. And uh, yeah, one of the few people to get it 100% spot on all by themselves. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, Steve, man, it's been such cool. such a pleasure chatting to you. Really, really great. Where are you based, by the way? Uh, I'm Dunning. So, uh, so yeah, um, involved at uh, at Province Cricket Club, and uh, lucky enough to to live just down the road from from Greg Clark, uh, and uh, so I see him a fair bit. Um, so yeah, a lot of a lot of a lot of old hockey friends that are. Um, yeah, that I get to that I get to engage with um, and play with on the weekends. Obviously, not COVID, but uh, yeah, um, very very blessed to to live in Cape Town and to and to have a have a great group, group of mates to to play the game I love with. Uh, you speak about uh, a cricket province cricket club. Uh, I don't know if you've heard. Are we chatting to you on the Friday, the day after the new name was revealed or the new sponsor's name was revealed for the Cape Cobras? Did you hear what it is? I didn't actually. So, get ready for this. It's it's a bit of a mouthful. And and once again, we thank the sponsors for coming on board, though, because we must make that clear. Uh, in this day and age, money is very hard to come by. So, uh, sponsors that are willing to get behind teams is very appreciated. Uh, but yeah, it's a bit of a long one. Uh, it they are officially called the Six Gun Grill Cape Cobras. Well, yeah. And it's it's cool. from the the six gun grill seasoning, so it's a tongue twister, but they do have some money now, yeah, which is welcome. But Derek, at the same time, I'm more than willing to welcome you all 
to the Six Gun Grill <laughs> Hockey the Podcast. <laughs> we'll take it. And you can for even sure. throw in you can even throw in the seasoning for us. So you don't need to hide that word. You can call it the Six Gun Grill Seasoning Hockey the Podcast. We'll take it. <laughs> for sure. Steve shot so much. Thanks for the time. Um I know you are a busy man as well with your your job and kids and stuff. So we appreciate the time. And I'm pretty sure uh, Ian got the question wrong. And he's, oh, then uh, you know, that's that's perfect. Bragging rights for the rest of uh, for the rest of life. So yeah. I'll be sure to let him know. Hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. Awesome, man. Have a have a great weekend. Uh, obviously, when all of you are listening to this, have a great week. Um, and uh, yeah, we look forward to seeing you around the hockey field, and hopefully, once we can travel again. We'll meet up for a cold beverage down in Cape Town. Yeah, and also, guys, I just—I mean, I think on behalf of the hockey community, I'm sure, I'm sure everyone probably has said it before, but um, yeah, what you guys are doing in terms of um, creating the media for for our young aspiring um, hockey players um, and hockey lovers to to consume is such an important part of of our of the process. And so, yeah, just a big. A big hats off to you guys um, for all the time, energy, effort that you put into to helping make our great uh, our game um, greater and better. So yeah, I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to chat with you, but also yeah, well done on 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 a great product. Thank you so much, Steve, man. Really, really appreciate it. And really appreciate you giving of your time uh, to chat with us uh, over this last hour and a bit. Listen, have a great weekend. Uh, for the folks that will be listening, they'll be getting this on a Tuesday, so have a great week. But uh, this will be recorded a few days earlier, and it is a Friday as we head into the afternoon. Plenty of cold beers await for you over in the beautiful city of Cape Town. And uh, we'll catch up soon, Steve. Super. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Cheers, go well. Lovely stuff, Ty. A great guest as always. Yeah, Derek, do we do we ever not have great guests? But of course, uh, Steve is, is right up there. He is someone who uh, many, many people would love to see at the helm of, of the national team one day. And who knows, maybe one day it could happen. But for now, anyone who uh, at least chats some hockey with him will be benefiting from it. Yeah, no, there's no question. I mean, even if you don't know him or if you don't really know the sport of hockey, if you just literally uh, tuned in for 10 minutes, you can quickly gauge that this guy has a hockey brain through and through. First as a player and uh, next as an administrator, a coach. So there's certainly a, a veritable wealth of hockey information loaded within that brain. And uh, South Africa will do very, very nicely to make use of that knowledge. Yeah, Derek, and, and just on a side note, I mean, I know Steve was a ex-Indoor International. Um, uh, I will be uh, commentating on Saturday night, so by the time you listen to this, it'll be in the past. But for the first time since COVID happened, the SA Indoor Hockey Men playing a few exhibition games against the under-23s in Pumalanga. And it'll just be nice to go be on the side of the court. As far as I know, it is uh, not open to the public, so it will be being streamed. And for that reason, I get to go be behind the mic for the first time in 11 months, which is quite exciting. Oh, man, that works out perfectly. Uh, Man, very, very jealous uh, because I know how much fun uh, I had uh, commentating alongside you in Durban last year. 
But uh, hopefully uh, we do get more and more events coming through in the future where the public can come and watch as well. But uh, great news to, to hear that uh, these games will be streamed. So, uh, yeah, hopefully, like as mentioned, when it does come out, it will have already happened. But uh, I'm sure they can get rebroadcast, tied, you know? Yeah, I think it's live on YouTube, so it's okay. probably you can go watch it later. Perfecto. That's magnificent. Well, uh, Ty, thanks so much as always. Uh, well done with another fantastic guest. Another episode done and dusted of Hockey the Podcast. We'll catch you in a week's time. Ciao.